You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 174. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. I'm back this week from a Scottish vacation, which included castles, steak pie, castles, haggis, castles, a royal yacht, castles, some beautiful scenery, and more castles. It was good times, and we'll get into that European jaunt a little bit. Now, we kick off this week's show with a brief discussion on the U.S. Federal Reserve's annual meeting in Jackson's Hole. Brennan will look at some memes around the financial term EBITDA. And I will remind him of how BC crushed Saskatchewan once again this past week. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, I will take a look at Canadian-based point-of-sales payment processor Lightspeed Commerce, symbol LSPD on the TSX. The former market darling is down 50% year-to-date and 84% from this past September. A listener asks us if the stock finally offers value. Brennan will continue our series on legendary or famous investors with a look at Kevin O'Leary, the outspoken Canadian investor of Dragon's Den and Shark Tank fame, who recently stated that 25% of his portfolio is tied up in cryptocurrencies. Finally, Brett is going to take a look at a bit of a resurgence in meme stocks in late August, names including GameStop, AMC Theatres, and most recently Bed Bath & Beyond have been in play once again over the past week to both the upside and downside. Brett will keep you up to date on this. So I'm going to welcome my co-host this week. It's Brennan and B and, <laughs> and Brett. I was going to <laughs> say the bees. killer bees are joining yeah. me. Aaron is, yeah. uh, he remains somewhere in the UK lost with his family in a castle. Yeah. Castle. Yeah. Staying. How, what, how were the castles? How were all the He's castles? buying a castle actually, I think. <laughs> I'm sure. Mm. But yeah, tell yeah, us about yeah. the trip. How were all the castles? What'd you guys get up to? Uh, well, it, you know, it was good times, you know, the adjusting to the time change and the, the flights was, you know, fun with kids. It's always is, but, um, you know, to be honest, we didn't have that many delays at all and we brought carry on. So we like jammed everything for like 10 and 11 days into like singular suitcases, which was really fun. I was like literally jumping up and down on my suitcase to get everything inside there. So <laughs> amazing, but. You know, we did all that and, you know, didn't have to wait for baggage. So there's no not lost baggage. So the flights were relatively painless. The that's layovers good. were fine. And we, uh, you know, I'm still a little feel a little jet lagged right now, but that's a first world problem. It was, it was good times. And uh, we did a lot of fun stuff, castles included. The Edinburgh Castle, which was a, like a military fort for like its past couple hundred years, was pretty, is pretty amazing. And we took some you know, silly pictures there. Eden brought a hippo, Harry the hippo. And uh, <laughs> on my Facebook, I posted, we posted a bunch of selfies. 
I saw those. Yeah, it's pretty pretty classic. So we like to do silly things. Keeps everybody engaged. Yeah, yeah, it's good that you guys brought carry-ons. Unlike uh, when we went to Vegas, uh, Aaron and Ryan got their bags instantly, and uh, they ended up having to wait with me around the carousel for about an hour. Would you say? Uh, Oh, yeah, I think it was more than that. (laughs) Maybe more than that. Fun times, but you know, I mean. Doing that with us, well, although Brandon's still a child, let's be honest. But I was saying without kids, yeah. um, <laughs> without kids, it's it's pretty easy. But like if you're waiting for hours for baggage with like a seven year old and a sixteen year old, you know, it can be um trying. So we tried to avoid that and jammed everything in. So it was, it was for sure. And you said haggis. So how was you? You tried haggis? Yeah, it's. I, I didn't did you think have any scotch? Bad. Like Candace thought it was just relatively disgusting, and uh, <laughs> Eden thought it was uh, a five out of ten. So, and Eric, Eric nice. was okay on it. He gave it oh. a seven. I gave. Did it you sip on any eight. scotch? I mean, pardon? Did you sip on any scotch? Did you have? Any? Um, briefly, but then I don't <laughs> yeah. remember anything after that. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I had a Guinness, we had steak pie and, you know, it was all the, the food over there. They're not known for their culinary uh, expertise, but, you know, honestly, like Canis looked up a ton of awesome places and we went, we had some pretty good food because I'd heard some horror stories that food was not the greatest, but, you know, it, it, was, mm-hmm. it was, it was good. It was just crazy, unseasonally hot over there. Like it was like 30 degrees with yep. some humidity at one point, which is like, you know, we were we brought a bunch of rain gear and stuff and it only rained one day. Although when it rained, it was like, honestly, they turned on a shower and you were just absolutely drenched. Like you were just absolutely like in like 30 seconds, we were at the zoo and you know, we were at Brennan's <laughs> exhibit there. So we, we saw him uh, in captivity yeah. and um, <laughs> anyways, no, it was good. It was good. Uh, but like, that was the only day where it really rained. And if it would have done that the whole time, I don't know what the hell we would have done. Cause it was just like, it was mm-hmm. a downpour. And like, we live in a rainforest out here basically, but this rain was, uh, it was like biblical. I don't know what was going on there. Well, it's glad, or we're glad to have you back in the office. <laughs> you have to say that. Let's be honest. So, <laughs> we do. <laughs> Anyway, so let's, yeah, let's, uh, we want to get into the show. We can get into, like, there's something you're going to start hearing uh, if you haven't already heard in the financial media, media is a meeting in Jackson's Hole. And, uh, like, what is that? I wanted to get into it later this week from the 25th to 27th, to be exact, the U.S. Federal Reserve holds a small gathering. It's about 120 of the world's leading economists and policymakers in Jackson's Hole, Wyoming. So, what is it? Like I said, it's only 120 people attending the event every year, but the publicly released papers and speeches, as well as the media engagements by the policymakers have made um, this Kansas City Fed's Economic Policy Symposium kind of a landmark event for Fed watchers and investors tuned in from afar, at least a landmark event for uh, August. But like why the question to me would be, why the hell, why are we holding it in Jackson's Hole? Well, I mean, I looked into it a little bit. It is one of the most popular ski destinations in the U.S., so that doesn't hurt. But apparently the real reason the annual Fed meeting landed in this like 48-mile-long valley has to do with fishing in them their parts. So a fishy rumor of sorts has it that organizers back in 1982 were trying to get then-Fed Chairman Paul Volcker to attend uh, the conference and raise its profile of the event. 
Now, knowing his fondness for fly fishing, the event was set up in Jackson's Hole in late August, which kind of provided the perfect conditions for reeling in then fed chairman Volker and his prized trout. The rest is history. It's been held there for decades now. So that is one of the reasons, supposedly the rumor is that why it's in Jackson's hole, which is kind of a random place to hold it, but uh, his fondness for fishing got it there. So what has been discussed at this meeting in the past will pass topics of consideration at the conference included the impacts of tech giants, like Meta, formerly Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google on big companies. That was in 2018. Financial stability in the wake of the global recession in 2016 was covered there. So many hot button issues of the day are covered at these events. What is on the agenda for this year? It will be the first in-person gathering, uh, uh, summer <laughs> camp kind of for these economic gurus since, or at least they think they're economic gurus. <laughs> I could just see them all at camp. We're all at bad camp. Now, with, with the signature event being a speech by Fed Chairman Jer Jerome Powell on Friday, that's the same day the government releases key inflation measure. It's key inflation measure for July. So many believe Fed Chair Powell will speak directly to investors, kind of talk to the markets at this event. If you recall, in their last July Fed meeting, they raised rates by a substantial 75 basis points, but the stock market actually rallied. The bond market yields went down after this, which is not likely what the Fed was intending or wanted. So there are several analysts that expect because the markets took the chairman's July statement as dovish, interest rates go lower again, longer term. That's what they thought You know, he was potentially talking about. He will likely take a hawkish or inflation fighting tone to keep the perception or reality that the Fed will continue to increase rates until it believes inflation is under control and in its stated range. Now, in addition to Powell's remarks, there will be readings on the state of the service sector, which is now growing more important to analysts as consumers switch their buying habits from goods to services. Friday will bring another take on consumer sentiment from the University of Michigan, a key element, but one that has been proven to be somewhat detached from the actual consumer behavior of late. And more housing data is on tap following several negative reports that have the National Association of Home Builders proclaiming the housing sector has fallen into a recession. So we'll take a look at some of those statements and some of the policy reports that are put out and go over those likely next week in our podcast. Awesome. So hopefully that provides a summary. If you guys got any comments on that, I mean, we'll have more to dig into. Like I said, when we actually have the conference, we have the Fed chairman's speech there. So I just wanted to go over because to be honest, every year I hear Jackson's Hole, I said, I, I think it's such a random place to be holding this event, but th there's a reason why it was held there. At least it's rumored to be why it was held there. Yeah, and Jackson Hole always has like rang a bell in my in my head. Ryan was asking me like, "Have you ever heard of it before?" And I was thinking, I think there's like a race car event or something out there. But you know what it is? It's actually the snowboarding. Uh, there's like a backcountry uh, snowboarding go. competition Being out there all the time. So apparently, it's it's quite the hole for that. Yep. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Isn't it, wouldn't it be Jackson's Mountain? Like it. It sounds. Doesn't it sound weird that it's like legendary for skiing and snowboarding when it's in a hole? But and you know, should kind of Jackson's yeah. Mountain pond hill? <laughs> yeah. Jackson's yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So. <laughs> 
Do you want do you want to get into your meme stocks? Or, yeah. Or, no, it's not the meme stocks. Sorry, the EBITDA memes. Some that funny memes at, right? that I came across over the weekend and uh, kind of pertains to myself a little bit. <laughs> well, can and, I just uh, say yeah, too, Brennan, that... before I'm going to cut you off, the BC yep. Lions crushed. Sorry, the uh, BC Lions crushed the Saskatchewan okay. once again over this past week. I like to point that out because we said there was going to be three <laughs> meetings. That was the second meeting. And yep. uh, what was it, 28 to 10? Brennan, your thoughts? Well, I you mean, there it. was a big injury, uh, I hear. And the only way that I heard that was from you. So, uh, you know, the next time that uh, why they do, meet, Why do you got to bring that up? Why do you, uh. <laughs> I know. And, and I don't want anybody to get hurt. You know, I never never do. But, uh, you know, then we'll, we'll see what happens next time. Um, I don't know why you're, you know, picking fun on me. I think that you should be really focusing on the Stampeders, which are six and three, or, you know, the Blue Bombers, which are, you know, nine and one right now. Uh, the Lions are eight and one. Um, and yeah, the yeah, Rough Riders are we would at 500 right now. One. So. We just haven't played as many games. That's that's the only reason we're not. I... No, but Nathan Rourke <laughs> was injured. Our, our star QB, the Canadian, <laughs> he has what's called a Lisfranc sprain in his right foot. So I, I did a little uh, digging on the Liz Frank injury. Um, it's It was apparently named after a French surgeon, Jacques Liz Frank de Martin, who served in the Napoleonic army in the 1800s. So uh, this is the injury. I don't <laughs> Facts. know. It's, I thought it was Liz and Frank that came up with it, but no, it was, it was uh, a guy, guy who served in the Napoleonic army or Napoleon's army. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. So I might go it, to a rider game in September. Year. Unfortunately, yes, that's uh, that's unfortunate for the next time that Saskatchewan and, and BC fault, face off. It's not my fault. Um, you know, I think I might go to a game in September here. We'll see. So uh, maybe I know you pulled up Kermit the Frog or me on the screen. So if if I do go to the game, I'll make sure to take some selfies and mm -hmm. uh, you know show you guys. Yeah. We already have a shot at you at the game. So. <laughs> uh, that's great. Okay, Show I'll let you get into your EBITDA. Sorry. Yeah, let's take a look at some finance memes. Um, you know, I'm on Instagram and uh, I follow a bunch of finance meme pages that kind of joke around and make some funny jokes about finance, uh, or at least that I think is funny. Uh, so let's take a look. So. I'll, I'll do the, my best job to kind of describe the images for people who are just listening. So the first image that we have here is an image of a frying pan on the left-hand side, full with spinach, and the word EBITDA above it. And then the next to it on the right, there is an image of the exact same frying pan with just a few pieces of spinach that have been cooked down with the words net income above it. So the gist of this meme, and I thought it was funny, is that EBITDA or earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization, which is sometimes seen as a proxy for cash flow, depending on who you're talking to, ends up being just a few dollars or pieces of spinach in this case, when we finally get down to the bottom line, which is net income. Now, personally, um, you know, I, I did think it was funny because I eat eggs every day, as uh, the guys know. And uh, recently, I started frying up spinach for my omelets. And my mind was blown uh, when I realized or saw how a huge pile of spinach could cook down to what appears to be just a few pieces. So that's the first meme. Now, that's looking the at the second Brennan's meme. ever eaten anything green. That was the issue. Um, well, 
I don't know, Colleen raised me right. So that's another call out for my mom. Um, <laughs> so the second meme here is an image for the golf lovers out there. Uh, I am a golf lover, even though I'm not the best at it. Uh, but it's a picture of Tiger Woods standing next to John Daly with the words gap net income above Tiger. And over John Daly, uh, there are the words pro forma adjusted last quarter annualized run rate EBITDA, which is a very sketchy way of annualizing the profitability of a company. And if used to value a company or assess its uh, net debt to EBITDA, we could come away with some multiples that look much, much better than they would realistically be. So I thought it was kind of funny because John Daly smoking a cigarette and on the green in some, you know, f really bright attire uh, next to, uh, you know, Tiger Woods, who's looking dapper as always. Now, the reason I bring these memes up uh, is it essentially facilitates the question, can we rely on adjusted EBITDA? Now, we would, of course, say it depends. You know, as you must take the time to consider what management is doing to adjust its earnings to get to that figure. And I'll just quickly end this quick segment with a quote from Warren Buffett. So he says, it amazes me how widespread the use of EBITDA has become. People try to dress up financial statements with it. Charlie and I, that's Charlie Munger, Charlie and I want managements in their commentary to describe unusual items, good or bad, that affect the gap numbers. After all, the reason we look at these numbers of the past is to make estimates of the future, but a management that regularly attempts to wave away very real costs by highlighting adjusted per share earnings makes us nervous. So yeah, any thoughts on that? I just thought they were funny to, you know, show people um, and to let them know that, uh, you know, even in my off time when I'm on Instagram, I am looking at uh, funny things in the finance world. Yeah, they're well, uh, absolutely first, I would say enough. those pants remind me of your shirt. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, those pants are pretty, pretty bright. Um, yeah, those are something you would wear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard you're bringing uh, a green. But, aren't you bringing a green suit into the mix? Can we get live? I, I am going to be bringing a green suit into the mix. Um, yes, it was my grandpa's old suit. Uh, I spent the, the weekend with my parents uh, going through a lot of my grandma's and grandpa's stuff. Because uh, they ended up, uh, like my grandpa passed many years ago, but uh, um, I, I dug up his executive shirt uh, from the Prince Albert Raiders. He was one of the you know founders, I guess, for the WHL hockey team, bringing them to Prince Albert, where is it, which is my hometown. Um, so yes, I, I got a dapper uh, Prince Albert Raiders green suit that uh, nice. I will. You grab, grab a box of Lucky Charms and you can be a leprechaun. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah, uh, I mean, that would work. You know, on, on EBITDA, like the, 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 the memes are correct. Like it, you have to be very mm -hmm. careful. We use like an adjusted cash flow figure typically to value companies. Um, yeah, it, it, Buffett always talks about it being meaningless EBITDA because it omits capital costs, right? And, yeah, it's just one mm -hmm. part of it. Um, it's sometimes a way to compare like companies and like industries if they're making acquisitions. But I mean, you, the adjusted cash flow figure is usually better anyway. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, and it if they became, have a lot of debt, yeah, it, yeah, Sorry, and it'd be you know then then you're just removing that that interest cost, which is an actual cost to the business. Like if, if the it's company true. doesn't have any debt, like it starts to approach cash flow a little more. But it depends on the structure of the business. You know, it's just it's you just have to know and look at the financials, what is being adjusted out. And, you know, you have to make yeah. that interpretation if it's reasonable or not reasonable. There's no one size fits all um, 
argument that, or, or statement we can make on whether it's useful in this case or that case. You just have to look mm -hmm. at it on a case by case basis. So exactly. uh, that's what we often tell our clients. They sometimes want a simple explanation and, you know, it's not as simple as one might uh, think it would be or always using the same valuation metric for each company. But certainly with EBITDA, it, I saw it be, and it had become, and it still is in some ways synonymous with earnings, uh, particularly in the heights of the 2021 tech boom, when everybody was just, nobody used actual earnings, right? And now we're starting to get back to that. Um, eventually it reverts back to the mean, mean and that's what yep. we're seeing right now. And I think that's what will happen. It works back to the reverts back to the meme. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Reverts back to the meme. And we that's a segue into why don't we just have Brett do we could revert to his meme. Yeah. Talk, All right. Yeah. Know. I'm doing it out of yeah, order. Yeah, that Is that works okay? Quite well. That is fine. That was a good yeah, segue. I like that one. By mistake, reverting back to the meme. <laughs> nice, nice slip of the tongue fixing yeah. to the mean stocks, I guess. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go over the recent meme stock runoff. Meme stocks have taken off again in August, just as quick as they shot up. They came falling back down. Names like GameStock, MC Theaters, not the TV channel, or recently Bed Bath & Beyond are all meme stocks. These are by no means the only meme stocks, but are more prominent and have high interest around them. But what exactly is a meme stock? Meme stocks have no strict definition, so asking a dozen people will likely get you a dozen different answers, but here's a general guide to what they are. Communities are built around stocks on online media, commonly Reddit, maybe Twitter. The community needs to be organically built, or at least perceived as organically built. What I mean by that is if a company attempts to become a meme stock, it's unlikely to gain any momentum. The communities allow people to quickly share research that is both good and more likely bad quality. <laughs> allowing people to quickly act as a group on the information. The second point they need is brand recognizable or nostalgic for the average person. This is a necessary ingredient for a large organic community to be built around the stock. If it is not recognizable, the stock would not have general appeal to create a large enough following. The company is downtrodden or not in their prime. People like an underdog story. That's why people always root for Brennan. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well played. So when it yeah. Well so when it comes to meme stocks, the yeah, that have gained traction, they are all past their primes, which adds to why nostalgia is important because people want to bring the company back to their rose-colored view. Many seeing the reason for the devaluation of the stock being due to unfair market practices or manipulation. Ultimately, if the company starts to pick up social momentum, it can translate into stock price momentum. The stock needs that mass appeal to retail investors to gain the traction in the short period of time. All right, now we're going to look at the rationales of why people invest. This list is by no means exhaustive, but some of the core reasons for investing in means stocks is, is a trend. It's fun. People like trends. It's like the 90s with Beanie Babies. People invested it just because they saw others doing it, and they want to feel part of that community and part of something bigger than themselves. And this is this is a common thing. It's, this is not the first time. It's not something unique to meme stocks, but it's the quality of it. And the second is people like to momentum train, trade. So if the price goes up, you buy. If the price goes down, you sell. That's what momentum trading is. You'll have hedge funds do it. You'll have amateur investors do it. It's not anything unique. 
but there's a lot of traders because when you're seeing this volatility, that's what momentum traders do. They like to seek that out. Third is just purely gambling, hoping to win big. They're paying that lottery ticket, not caring about the odds or the risk, and they're likely using leverage or options to strike big. They're buying way out of the money options in many cases at four or five times the current price is their strike price. It can be quite a bit of leverage to say the least. And the fourth, but perhaps the most intriguing and unique thing to meme stocks is the activism nature nature of buying or commonly anti-hedge fund or market manipulation protest. The common protest is against naked short selling, which is selling short when shares are not located or available, which is illegal. And there's tons of speculation online where you'll say some people they're lying about. I don't personally buy it, but that's the common argument for many of these people in the GameStop and AMC especially. And they believe purchasing these stocks will uncover, create a cause, cause an uncoverable short squeeze. So it'll just shoot up into infinity. I don't buy it personally, but I'm going to put that out there to the audience because that's what many argue. All right, the common phrase, I like the stock, which comes from Keith O, the man who started off the GameStop run in 2020, early 2021, as his rationale for buying the stock when initially asked on mainstream media. This is generally used as a generic phrase to why someone invests in the meme stock, as many people do not have an exact reason. They're just, they're gambling. They don't want to admit they're gambling pretty much, or they're having some sort of a combination of the above. All right. So the issues with meme stocks are are many, to say the least, and it's not an understatement to say they are volatile. They are extremely volatile, even compared to volatile assets like cryptocurrencies. They're right up there, and in some cases, even more when you're looking at their market caps. The problem is the stocks are not trading on their underlying fundamentals when they're surging up. When you're seeing GameStop, this is before the split in January of 2021, hitting $800 on intraday trading. How can you justify that? E- even if you're the most sturdy believer, they're going to turn around. They're going to reintroduce use game market. They're going to take over the industry. That's a hard sell, to say the least, on a fundamental basis. So double digit changes are par for the course due to that. And now let's take a look at some of the recent volatility of Bed Bath & Beyond and AMC and the reasons why these prices are moving, because it's clearly not the fundamentals. First off, Bed Bath & Beyond, symbol BBBY on the NASDAQ, not BBY, which many people bought. That is Best Buy. Don't do that. Look look at the stock. That is something which I saw common. (laughs) Best Buy actually went up when this first started to happen. Make sure you're buying the right stock, even if it's a meme stock. All right, the stock starts in the month of August roughly from $5 to an intraday peak of $30, six times in a few weeks. That doesn't sound like a normal company, even a penny stock. That's pretty absurd. This is largely due to the chair of GameStop, Ryan Cohen, having ownership in the company. And he's been taking to social media, pushing up the stock. An initial capitulation price on the 19th of August happened when rumors were reported of Ryan Cohen selling his shares. Further capitulating on the confirmation of the rumors in this filing. In this case, it was sell the rumors and sell the news. Which has now caused some to call for him to be investigated for market manipulation and fraud, including former SEC chair Harvey Pitt expecting at least an investigation. But these things are hard to prove, so nothing may come out of it. Even if not legally culpable, it speaks to the dangers of following a trend set by someone with very obvious conflicts of interest. All right, moving to AMC, 
Symbol AMC on the New York Stock Exchange. AMC needs to raise capital. It is no secret. They have $5.4 billion in long-term debt. They have operating leases on top of that. They're burning cash operationally. They've already sold shares during the initial meme stock run-up of 2021, and they are not authorized to issue any more shares, and shareholders refuse to allow that limit to be raised. <laughs> Most recently, yeah, sorry, my cat is just sneaking around. He, he, he loves to. He is apparently a fan of meme stocks. Pixel. All right, so... The shareholders refuse to allow the... He's fully invested. Exactly. He is, an, he is a hardcore ape right here. Right here. All <laughs> right. So the shareholders had refused for the board to allow any more authorized shares, which means they can't issue shares. They can't raise capital. So what they have done is they issued a preferred sh- share dividend. This is not something normally done. Something like this would normally be done if, let's say, the company was doing a spinoff. They'll issue a share dividend to... Let's say run out a new company, they'll split off. This new senior share under the ticker Ape, because the all the retail investors refer to themselves lovingly as apes, was issued as dividend of all the AMC stockholders. This does not alter the current total fundamental value of the company, but it has effectively split the total market cap into the pre-existing AMC ticker and the new senior ape ticker. Just as a side note, the stock price starts have not been adjusted because this is a dividend. Not a stock split. I've already seen that a few times online. People complaining, why are the stock, it, it shows it going down. It's because it's a dividend. This is what the people actually wanted to happen and not just a stock split. And that's why you're seeing that. All right. So the benefit to the investors of this happening is they can actually buy, this is a senior equity. So if there's a bankruptcy, the ape holders outrank the AMC holders and they'll, they're likely to get either liquidation. This doesn't happen lots. If a company does go into liquidation, normally equity is just wiped out. So why would the company do this then? They are appealing to retail investors. They're marketing that ape ticker, allowing them to effectively raise the authorized and issuable shares in the client structures, which the shareholders previously voted against. The company board is now able to authorize the issue up to 5 billion of the ape shares, currently having authorized 1 billion and have issued 517 million for the dividend, leaving nearly 4.5 billion of senior ape shares left to capital raise to pay off the fundamental issue of debt. Simply put, the company wanted to appeal to the retail meme investors' desire not to dilute common stock, but they have done exactly that in a roundabout way. Overall, the company... These that have become meme stocks are taking advantage of the heightened prices to cover the lack of operational performance. Yeah, good job. I think it's super interesting that they call it, you know, the ape. Like it's like for right now, like there's like a big thing like with um, NFTs and whatnot, where it's like Mm -hmm. the board apes. Like this is even kind of over my head, but it's it's pump like it's almost just a pump um it's very yeah, interesting mean, to see to me, a company like this do it it's all silly season really it's, it it's is just, i mean you, like brad said you're not dealing with the underlying fundamentals of no. the business and you know management or the boards are trying to take advantage of followings of retail yeah. investors i mean you're not dealing in what we would look at when we look at a business where's the cash flow is it growing is it a good business over the long term so you're talking about basically gambling versus investing. And, you know, yeah. like in these cases, um, just buyer beware, you're 
buying something that the fundamentals of these underlying businesses, AMC, Bed Bath and Beyond, all of these businesses are deteriorating over time. Many of them aren't profitable, haven't been profitable for years or seeing declining revenues, have loads of debt. Um, it just like the opposite of the type of investment that we'd be looking for for our clients. So, I mean, you know, it's it is fun to talk about and, and you know, it's good theater. But, you know, if you're looking at actually making money in the market long term, I mean, these are companies to just absolutely stay away from. You can for look sure. at AMC over the last month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it started the month at 14 something and then ran up to 25 and now is at nine. Uh, you know, if you would have piled in when you saw all the meme investors piling in, you know, you could have got it between 15 and 20. Now you're cut in half, you know, it could be cut in half and your share price value. And right now, like there's probably no justification for the valuation where it is today. So, yeah. I mean, this, you could be held holding the bag for long. Yeah. I, I should add that it's, it's kind of more than $9. Cause if you add in the ape, which they all received. Cause it's just like a stock yeah. split, even though it doesn't behave like it, they're about $15. It's still down even after that though. So the charts are a bit misleading. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm treading up. Understood. This. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, for us, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, this in some respects, it, it, it in the investment arena generally and trying to invest in good companies, these things are, are a sideshow and a circus that attract people's attention. But they totally. really take away from the capital that should be raised and should be flowing into good, solid businesses that are, you know, employing capital, uh, creating value for shareholders and creating value in the economy. Many of these companies aren't doing that. So, uh, you know, I would hope that uh, I'd hope that people, you know, you can watch this. Uh, it's, you know, it's great theater. It's like a car wreck that you kind of can't look away from when you drive by. But avoiding it in your portfolio is a is a necessity for long term growth. You're not going to be able to sleep at night. That is an interesting point that you just made up, though. Too like, I mean, the markets are like over the long run. You know, capital like that's the beauty of the markets is capital over the long term will be allocated to you know the best opportunities and you know efficiently allocated to you know companies and, and great business models these are not good business models. I've said it before, you know, even on the podcast where like, for example, GameStop, I mean, someone like myself, if I'm going to go buy a video game on my PS5, I just do it right over the internet. It downloads right onto my PS5. I don't have to do anything going into a store or anything. So it's just, yeah. you know, same thing with theaters. You know, I, I just, they're kind of a dying breed. I mean, I get it where, you know, people are still going to be going to the theaters, but uh, yeah. Although Brennan's never seen a movie, so he's the wrong one to ask about this. <laughs> The one I've movie which I've I saw dragged Gun. him to, yeah. Because yeah. I dragged you to it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. When we're at a conference, yes. literally. Yeah. No, anyway, but yeah, mm -hmm. like the, the main point, I think we made it. We beat it to death on these companies. Um, You know, we can Enjoy watch it, it um, <laughs> yep. you know, with, with an eye to theater, but... Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hilarious, but I mean, but you know, you want to build a, a build portfolio of businesses that are growing, that have cash flow. Most of these do not have any of that, and I would keep them out of your portfolio. And even as a long term so, story, don't have a good story. Anyways, yeah. let's move on. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call "Your Stock, Our Take: Buy, Sell, or Hold." 
Yeah, okay, let's look at Lightspeed Commerce, our your stock, our take for the week. The symbol is, or the company is Lightspeed Commerce, symbol is LSPD on the TSX, trades around $25, $3.75 billion market cap. Uh, what does the company do? Well, Lightspeed is a point of sale or POS platform solutions provided for small to medium sized enterprises. Primarily in the retail and restaurant industries, Lightspeed provides end-to-end -end solutions that integrate front-end software, back-end software, and payments. This former market darling is down around 50% year-to-date and 85% from this past September. Now, we last reviewed Lightspeed in this Your Stock Our Take segment when it traded at $117 in August 2021. Fundamentally, then, it traded at roughly 55 times EV to sales on a trailing basis and 23 times what management expected forward sales with no earnings, cash flow, or even adjusted EBITDA. The market cap was close to $20 billion at that point. While revenue growth was great and the balance sheet was great, the stock was grossly expensive. And as we said, it didn't meet our minimum criteria, which would be cash flow. We advised investors to stay clear at that point. Now let's see where the company is today. As you know, the share price, as we know, has cratered since then. Um, but the recent financials, we want to look at the company again with fresh eyes and see where the business is. Well, Q1 fiscal results, uh, 2022, I believe, uh, revenues rose 50% to 173.9 million. Net loss came in at around 100 million compared to 49 million in the same period last year. On an adjusted basis, adjusted EBITDA was a loss of 15.6 million. Lightspeed does have 915 million in unrestricted cash and cash equivalents, so a strong balance sheet. There's been strong growth in revenues historically, but not even a sniff of operational or profitability historically. Our conclusion here with Lightspeed shares down roughly 85% from its September highs, it now trades at 4.2 times EV to trailing sales and 3.1 times expected fiscal 2023 sales. The company has a target, it has had a target in the past of EBITDA margins in the range of 20%, but current margins are still negative. The company is nowhere near that. Analyst expectations are for break-even adjusted EBITDA by Q1 of fiscal 2024. So we're in Q1 of 2023. It's roughly two quarters. Q1 just was posted. This is positive if achieved, but from a valuation basis, we're not talking about real cash flow and certainly nothing close to actual earnings per share. Philosophically, we find it poor investment practice to buy businesses on promises of future earnings if the management team has never operated the business from a cash flow positive position, particularly if one of the primary drivers of growth has been acquisitions. The balance sheet is great and M&A activity can add growth, but based on the current and even next year's expected numbers, the stock continues to remain expensive or at the very least high, hold a higher level of risk than we are comfortable with. It's crazy what that EV to sales got up to, you know, and even still, yeah. you know, relatively pricey, you know, yeah, and great growth. Even still without profitability, without cash flow, it's still relatively pricey. So, you know, good yeah. balance sheet. We'd see management will probably go out there and make some eminent mergers and acquisitions right now, but they haven't proven the model out to be able to run this business profitably at this point. We would just stay on the sidelines until we saw that. 
And even then, it has to really jump into profitability to start to offer value. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, you've brought up to me before, Ryan, where, you know, when you have some of these companies like this that are just continually burning cash, like there's no, they, they never put focus on creating profitability. And that almost comes into management culture at one point where, you know, management never cares about profitability. And I'm not saying that these guys won't reach it. They might eventually, but it almost becomes a part of the company culture to grow, 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 and never focusing on that profitability, which at the end of the day is what business is all about, you know, making It's a money. completely different thing to run a business continually burning cash than to have the discipline every quarter to yeah. have cash flow, uh, which is one of the reasons why we like dividend growth stocks, because if you have a dividend mm -hmm. that you know that you have to pay every quarter and you're trying to grow that, then, you know, you have to be responsible uh, with your top line and bottom line, you have to look and know that that dividend is coming due every quarter. You want to increase that, you know, every year. So you want to increase cash flow. And if if you don't do that, those things can't be done. You can't be borrowing to pay that dividend. So it's one of the reasons why yeah. you know dividend growth stocks are a good model. Um, you know, in this in this case, the company has never shown the discipline to be able to run with a profit, operating cash flow, anything like that. So it is a different animal to run that business profitably. Perhaps they will be able to do it. Everybody can reference a company like Amazon that ran at a loss for years and years and years, but Amazon is an absolute unicorn. So yeah. using the, you know, the outlier as your reference point is poor strategy, right? So let, let's, we try not to do that. Uh, you know, Lightspeed is certainly not an Amazon in the payments industry. So, you know, this company has to, at some point, prove that it can pro operate profitably and then, you know, ratchet up those margins over time. But, uh, yeah. you know, it hasn't been able to do that to date. There's others in the sector that are operating profitably. So, you know, despite the great balance sheet, we'd like to see them move into profitability first. I mean, you talk totally. about that culture. I mean, people talk about that in sport, having a team that's continually losing, even if you're going through a rebuild, uh, potentially, you know, the culture of the, the team becomes a losing culture. If the culture is always to lose money, do you even have the right team in place to be able to make money over time? And do you have a, you know, in sport, do you have a winning team too in place? Can yeah. that be learned? Can you suddenly turn on the switch and start winning? You know, you, you brought up uh, like dividend growth stocks. Like, I just want to quickly say this a little bit of a tangent, but I was just having some fun with my dad over the weekend. And uh, looking back at when we recommended Brookfield Infrastructure, if you would have bought it, you know, a decade ago when we recommended it, your effective yield every single year off of that initial purchase price would be like 25%. So you would be making, because they're growing their dividend every single year. So, you know, you're, you're earning 25% on your initial investment every single year just because you purchased it and they grew the dividend. And yeah, I think it was bought in like the 12, $14 range yeah. or something like that. And, or is nine, $14 range in that mm -hmm. range. Um, it's paid back more in dividends than, than yep. the share price originally. I mean, that, you know, doesn't look like it would be, Oh, this is the greatest growth stock of all time, but just a tremendous, uh, yeah. creator of wealth for shareholders. And, you know, th those are mm -hmm. some of the businesses, like it's a boring infrastructure business, but it's been tremendous position. And like, we would continue to buy it today. Totally. Okay. okay. And do we, we finally have a, we're doing an, a, a profile on Kevin O'Leary. I think Brennan's got that. Yes.
investor spotlights on Kevin O'Leary. So as most people know, probably, uh, Kevin O'Leary is a Canadian businessman, investor, and television uh, personality, appearing on shows like uh, The Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, where he is a private equity investor. Uh, O'Leary's first claim to fame and millions were earned when he uh, co-founded SoftKey Software Products, a technology company that was eventually acquired by Mattel in 1999. And, uh, you know, he also has in 2008, uh, O'Leary uh, co-founded O'Leary Funds, Inc., uh, a mutual fund company. Um, now, Despite many people's criticism of O'Leary's brash and sometimes rude demeanor on television, often telling entrepreneurs to take their bad business idea behind the barn and shoot it, I have always enjoyed his honesty and discipline to cash flow. O'Leary has even stated, this is a quote from him, my whole investment strategy is built around cash flow. I have a little Charlie Munger on my shoulder every day when I look at a deal and he's just saying two words cash flow, cash flow. Now, the reason I wanted to discuss O'Leary in our investment spotlight segment is because I listened to him on a couple of podcasts recently, where he stated that about 25% of his portfolio is tied up in cryptocurrencies. And I thought how peculiar considering his discipline towards cash flow, as he would say, uh, on Shark Tank. Um, so of course, you know, no one is auditing his portfolio. So you know, we don't know the actual amount of his holdings in crypto. But he has publicly disclosed this summer that he has 32 positions in alternative coins or altcoins, including Polygon, which is a scaling platform to make Ethereum more efficient to handle more transactions, HBAR, a ledger, which is an alternative to blockchain, as well as you know Solana, Serum, Helium. Honestly, a lot of these are over my head, uh, but that is just to name a few that he said that he is invested in as well as Vancouver-based company WonderFi Technologies, ticker symbol WNDR on the TSX, uh, which offers a technology platform allowing people to invest in digital assets, including crypto and NFTs. And just a note, WonderFi had an operating loss. Again, this is an operating loss uh, of 30 million during the first nine months of fiscal 2022. Uh, but they did just recently make a sizable acquisition. So, you know, we'd have to look going forward, but I'd assume those losses are continuing. Now, the reason for O'Leary's exposure to crypto is that he says, I believe crypto is going to become the 12th sector of the economy at some point. It's going to take 10 years or whatever, but I look at it and say to myself, it's all software innovation. Bitcoin is not a coin, it's software. And at this point, I really start to think about this as financial services productivity. So in a way, I'm doing a lot of private equity in it. Now, I agree with O'Leary's comments that crypto is essentially software, but he is making big bets on crypto, which is potentially outside of his typical investing philosophy, which revolves around cash flow. In the words of Kevin, he says, if a business or idea is not making money after 36 months, you have to take it behind the barn and shoot it. It was put on your journey to teach you what not to do. Now, will O'Leary's bets in the crypto world pay off? Possibly. But if some of these investments do not, I think that his dreams will be plagued with Charlie Munger reciting the words, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. So yeah, I just, you know, I'll get your guys' take as well. I just think it's interesting seeing him, you know, almost pivot away from the, the Kevin O'Leary that I've always known, um, you know, needing to see bottom line cash flow uh, rather than investing in more of ideas.
I mean, I I, th- I think the little monger on his shoulder would have jumped off, you know, at, at the <laughs> yeah. thought of you know, yeah, quite 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 a while ago at the thought of uh, yeah. putting twenty five percent of his portfolio in cryptos. I mean, and I, I like I like the thought that and Bitcoin is cryptocurrencies are software, but and I, I like Kevin O'Leary and I mm-hmm. find him entertaining. That me too. The theme of being a slave to cash flow in investing that speaks to me. Uh, it, it is to me. It's interesting to point out that how he established his fortune was through the sale of that family business, the learning company. They sold yeah. it to Mattel for four point two billion. It was done when it was done. It was the height of the dot com bubble, a time when investors completely forgot about the words cash flow. So yeah. it's he made a great deal at the time, but since then he has preached the importance of investing. Uh, in cash flowing businesses as like a basic minimum, like you talked about criteria. So it's, you know, a concrete, tangible tenet of his investment philosophy that, but then to talk about having 25% of his portfolio in crypto on the kind of the idea that I think you had said this earlier in the pre for this show, Brennan, that he was doing it because the smartest people in the world, the smartest minds in the world all wanted to work in crypto. So that's kind of a nebulous idea. I mean, it's a great thought, but it, it kind of eschews cash flow. And it's very, at the very least, it's it's curious that he's gone that route, which what would be a quarter of his portfolio. So, uh, you know, and you talked about WonderFi, which we've been watching, WonderFi yep. symbol WNDR on the TSX. It's been listed for around a year. It's backed by O'Leary. It began trading roughly in the dollar seventy range, hitting a high of just uh, under three dollars in the twenty twenty one tech bubble. But the shares have plummeted to the forty four cent range. Yeah. So Wonderfly has posted revenues two point nine million in the last quarter, but its operating loss alone in the last quarter was ten point four million. It's nowhere near positive cash flow. Yes, they have made a couple of acquisitions. One of them is you know in the numbers there. Uh, I believe one or two of them are not in the numbers yet. So we'll have to look at the numbers going forward, but they've issued a ton of shares to make those acquisitions as well. So with nothing close to positive cash flow in the near term, I wonder if he'll stick to his philosophy. And in two years, if this company isn't cash flow positive, he'll shoot this one, uh, shoot the company Wonderfy and take it out back. But <laughs> you know, he did talk about a 10 year time frame on yep. this one. So We'll look at it. I'd like to see a better share structure in this business. Uh, but, you know, and then there is, they have commented on like the kind of the crypto winter and the uh, the cash flow crunch that was in that industry. They say that they're not exposed to it at all, which is a good thing. But I do wonder if the biggest exchanges will just be the ones who live and these smaller exchanges, kind of the ones that the Canadian exchange that, uh, Wonderfy has purchased whether they will continue to live on uh, in this segment. So we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, yep. it does it does have some industries. I would love this business to match his criteria that he talks about in terms of cash flow. It'd be great if this business was cash flow positive right now, and we could buy it at a relatively cheap price. But it's nowhere near that. So if we see it come into that range, you know, potentially yep. it would be an opportunity. It isn't there right now, though. Yeah, exactly. And just to, if I could just say that quote that he said before, where it's like he's doubling down yeah. on, you know, idea-based investing. He says, you have the smartest, brightest men and women around the world today saying, screw everything else. I want to work in crypto. And then he says, 
you can't have this much intellectual capital poured into something and not expect greatness. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. No, and, and, we're not saying, I don't think what we're saying is this is not going to be a massive exactly. segment of the economy but it's just, or there's not going to be amazing mm -hmm. technology that'll come out of blockchain. It does look like there will be, and there is already yeah. uh, that's come out of it. But um, what, what companies are you going to invest in? Like just investing in the sector generally, you know, I, I'm not sure. And like, this is one example of a company that he has invested in, in mm -hmm. terms of WonderFi. And we can look at the underlying numbers because it is public. It's not a yeah. private entity. And right now the numbers don't back up the share price. And the reason that the numbers have been poor and you've seen the share price react accordingly over time, it's done over the last year. It's, it's cratered. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll watch big bets. to see if these new acquisitions can make it profitable. Then it maybe becomes attractive. Yeah, but we'll wait to that point. And waiting to that point, yeah. mitigate, mitigating risk. Sorry, Brett, go on. Yeah. Something which I will add. He says, "I have thirty-two positions." Specifically, mm -hmm. that word speaks to me. He doesn't actually own the altcoins directly. He may own the underlying companies, yep. which is a massive difference here. Because a lot of those are just, they're, they're small cap companies and those actually are producing cash flows, some of them. Yep. That's the trick here. So if he actually owns the coins, that's very different than if he's owning the companies because he does own Circle, it says in this, which is, yeah. um, if you traded USDC, it's one of the larger stable coins. Um, that is a private company, so I'm not certain on it, but I'm I guessing that correct. is producing cash. It is a private, no, I know that it is a private company. I'm, yeah. I'm not certain that if it produces cash flows or not, I would not be surprised if it does. And that would meet his criteria. Mm -hmm. Which is good to note. And it's good, mm -hmm. you know, it's good to yeah. have you pointing that out because like, you know, we, we don't want him, you know, we'd like to see Kevin not completely depart from his uh, criteria of cash. Mm -hmm. Wonderfly at least does have revenues where like, you know, you mm -hmm. can price something like many of the altcoins out there. Like I think we've been in agreement that they're just going to be gone at some point. Right. So, you know, investing in them directly, but if he has positions in underlying companies that are doing mm -hmm. business within this segment, they could have some positive cash flow there. So it could be more akin to his criteria that he espouses all the time. And, and we agree with that criteria primarily. Yep. So I think that's, I think that's all of it for this week. Is it not? Yep. I think we don't have everything. I think we do have mm -hmm. everything for this week. I'd like you to encourage you to keep your comments coming uh, on YouTube. We'll keep answering those questions. Uh, there was a couple questions last week uh, on share-based compensation. I think Aaron wanted to tackle that when he gets back. So we'll, we'll go through that um, and keep commenting down here and smash the <laughs> button to subscribe. The one up here, right? No, keep commenting and, and uh, down there somewhere. subscribing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you're listening to on the podcast as well, you know, keep liking us or going and adding a review on iTunes as well. And uh, Aaron will be back next week. So the ratings are sure to plunge, but you know, we'll still take them back because we, we still love the guy, yep. even though the public hates him. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I wish you all profitable investing. Thanks everyone. Thank you.